ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. What does Darwin have to do with racism? Hello, this is John West. I'm vice president of Discovery Institute. And today we're going to talk about the topic of Darwinian racism, especially the pivotal role it played in Nazi Germany. I'm joined by historian Richard Weikart, author of a new book just released that is titled Darwinian Racism, How Darwinism Influenced Hitler, Nazism, and White Nationalism. You can find out more about the book at darwinianracism.org, and you can purchase it at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com and other online booksellers. Dr. Weikert is Emeritus Professor of History at California State University Stanislaus and the author of multiple books on the intellectual history surrounding Nazism. Those books include From Darwin to Hitler, Hitler's Ethic, and Hitler's Religion. He's also written The Death of Humanity and The Case for Life. Dr. Weikart completed his PhD in Modern European History at the University of Iowa. He has been featured in many documentaries, including Expelled with Ben Stein, The Biology of the Second Reich, and Human Zoos, which has over 3 million views on YouTube. So Dr. Weikart, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for hosting this, and I'm looking forward to it. Great. And I'll probably switch over, since we've known each other for so long, to just saying Richard, <laughs> but wanted to, and everyone should know that you are a professor and, and a doctor and have your PhD. So it's really interesting that your book should come out right now, because the day before it was released, the topic of Nazi racism was all over the national media. <laughs> uh, that's because a very famous celebrity got in hot water for claiming that what the Nazis did wasn't about racism. Actress, comedian, author, film star Whoopi Goldberg ignited a firestorm with her comments. She later apologized, but she also said this in a subsequent interview with Stephen Colbert. It was about white on white. Most of the Nazis were white people, and most of the people they were attacking were white people. So to me, I'm thinking, how can you... How can you say it's about race if you are fighting each other? I said, this wasn't racial. This was about white on white. Okay, uh, Richard, Whoopi says it is, was just about white on white. It wasn't about mm -hmm. racism. Is she right? <laughs> well, she obviously had a complete misunderstanding of anti-Semitism and the role that anti-Semitism has played historically. Uh, and that's unfortunate because, uh, you know, Obviously, groups like African-Americans who have been marginalized and persecuted over their history, you would hope that they would have empathy for other people who've been persecuted as well. And if there's any group that's been persecuted historically for their ethnic, racial, and religious identity, but in the Nazi case, it was considered a racial identity by the Nazis. Uh, it certainly was the Jews. So I, in my book, I do deal with this issue of how the Nazis construed racism and how they based their notions about race on Darwinian concepts. Although I, I do need to hasten to say that the, the Nazis did not get their anti-Semitism specifically from Darwinism, but they integrated their anti-Semitism into a Darwinian framework where they were in this Darwinian struggle for existence with the different races. Okay. What about the, the Nazis' views of Black people and other people of color? Did they have racist views there? Oh, very definitely. They actually ended up sterilizing people who were half Black in Nazi Germany. These are people who had been fathered by 
French colonial troops during the French occupation after World War One with colonial troops. So they were half black, half Germans. They sterilized them because they didn't want blacks in Germany. They didn't want them reproducing. But it wasn't just blacks and it wasn't even just Aboriginal peoples in other parts of the world and such. The Nazis thought that different Europeans were of different races too. They talked about the Aryan race or Nordic race, which was supposed to be Northern Germany and Scandinavia countries predominantly, and and also Britain because of the Anglo-Saxons and such. But they actually thought that they were superior to the Slavs and the Southern Europeans as well. So it was even about an inter-European racial construct too. And so they uh, dehumanized the Slavs, just to give one one poignant example, the Nazis published a propaganda pamphlet that was called Der Untermensch, which means the subhuman. And on the cover of it, there were Russian POWs. So there was, the Slavs were considered subhuman. Well, the Jews were considered subhuman too. And it's because of the, the way that the Nazis constructed their racial uh, hierarchies. And when I say Nazis, these were things the Nazis inherited from pre-Nazi sources. Typically, the Nazis didn't invent this themselves. Yeah, no. I, but thank you for for giving that 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 overview of that the fact that first of all, just because people were white didn't mean you can't use racism against it. I have <laughs> grandparents who actually came from Eastern Europe, and so I'm well aware of uh, on some of that. But and and also with the Jews, and then but it did also carry over to blacks and others. So I think that's Certainly. and your book is really good in actually giving all of that. Citing original sources, not just secondary sources, but delving deeply into those original sources. Now, one of the central ideas of your book is, when I read it, is that Nazi racism was inspired, at least in part, by these evolutionary ideas of Darwin and his followers. But today, I've heard people claim that the Nazis opposed evolution. They banned its teaching from school, and Hitler himself was even a creationist. So I wonder if you could help us sort out fact from fiction here. First, maybe, you know, did Darwinism play a role in Nazi racism? And if so, what was that role? Yeah, it played a huge role because the the way the Nazis thought of, of the races in terms of the origins is they thought that they had evolved in different uh, environments with different environmental pressures that had caused them to evolve in different ways. And specifically, when they talked about the Aryan race and how it evolved, they thought that because it had evolved in northern times during the ice, as the ice ages were retreating and such, they claimed that there was greater selective pressures there. So they had to become more intellectual. They had to become more cooperative. And they, they thought that these traits had, had evolved in the Aryan race to make them a superior race to the black Africans who they thought were lazy because they grew up in tropical climates where they didn't have to work very hard and they thought that they were sexually promiscuous, and they thought that these were the kinds of biological traits that had evolved within the the Black Africans, for example. When they looked at the Jews, they believed the Jews had these certain evolved traits as well, and usually it corresponded with the stereotypes that had pre-Darwinian origins, that the Jews were greedy, that they were deceitful, that they were sexually immoral, and so this is, they thought that these were biologically ingrained traits uh, that had come about through biological evolution over time, similar to the way that people today would talk about evolutionary psychology or sociobiology uh, and such. And so they saw the races as having evolved in these ways. But perhaps even more importantly, 
they applied the Darwinian struggle for existence to races, just like Charles Darwin himself did. Charles Darwin himself thought that the human races were in competition for scarce resources uh, and that the superior ones were going to triumph uh, and that the inferior ones uh, were going to die out ultimately. Uh, and certainly Hitler appropriated that idea and thought that the Aryan race was locked in this inescapable struggle for existence with other races. And the struggle for existence is a struggle for existence. It's a struggle for life and death. Uh, it's a struggle that has to result in the death of large numbers of people, in fact, because of the, the notion that there was this, uh, the population would outstrip the food supply. So this is a very driving force in, in Hitler's ideology. Another key way too, is that uh, the notion of gaining living space. So the, the notion that brought Hitler to launching World War II, this notion of living space was a notion that was developed by a Darwinian biologist who became a geographer. And then he framed this idea about there being this struggle over living space because he thought that's, of course, living space is where you would get your agricultural produce from. So you're fighting the Darwinian struggle for existence, he thought was a fight over land. So Hitler imbibed that idea of living space, and he saw that was, a, again, part of the Darwinian struggle for existence. So Hitler thinks that he's acting in accordance with natural laws, especially evolutionary laws, when he is launching his war to gain living space, when he's destroying people of other races, and also when he's destroying people with, aside from the racism, even the, his euthanasia program and such killing people with disabilities. Again, he sees it all as part of sort of helping the evolutionary process forward and bringing about biological progress. Mm. So what about some of the, the particular claims that you see out there on the internet? I remember writing something where someone among their various claims was that, oh, but the, the Nazis opposed evolution and tried to ban it from schools. Where does yeah. this come from? Yeah. One of the, the key things is it's very selective use of evidence. And it's basically a use of, of a few pieces of stray evidence that are mis very often misconstrued, and then just they ignore the mountains of evidence that oppose their particular position, which is what I bring forward in this book, Darwinian Racism. I bring forward an incredible amount of evidence to show that that's just malarkey, that the, the, the Nazis had banned Darwinism. And so here's the piece of evidence they use for that. There was a banned book list that was published in 1935 in a German journal for libraries called Die Bücherei. And in that banned book list, it mentioned uh, books that pertain to Primitive Darwinism, that was the term that was used there, uh, and it specifically mentioned Ernst Haeckel. Now, they use that and say, see, the, the Nazis banned Darwin. But however, they just there's huge, some huge problems with that. First of all, it said primitive Darwinism, which suggests that it's probably they're talking about what they consider misinterpretations of Darwinism. But whether that's true or not, this was a book list that was put together by a Saxon librarian. There, by the way, are multiple banned book lists by the Nazis, and no other banned book list in the Nazis ever includes Darwin or Heckel in them. Also, Darwin's and Heckel's books were still being published during the Third Reich, and I provide evidence for that in my book that you, you can find that, that publishers were still publishing Heckel's works then. Also, there was an Ernst Heckel Society that was formed in 1942. Ernst Heckel was the leading German Darwinian biologist in the pre-Nazi period. He died before the Nazi period came about. But there was an Ernst Heckel Society that was formed by Darwinian biologists who were promoting uh, Heckel's ideas and Darwinist ideas. And the people who formed that, one of them, key figures, was an SS officer who was the rector of y University of Jena. And they also got permission 
from some of the highest ranking Nazi officials to form this society, showing that Heckel was not banned, mm -hmm. much less Darwin during that time. And when I say highest ranking officials, Rosenberg was one of the key officials, Alfred Rosenberg, uh, who was one of the leading Nazi ideologists, uh, and also Martin Bormann, both gave permission to form this Ernst Heckel Society uh, at that time. And Fritz Zaukel, who was the Gauleiter, the Nazi district leader of that region of Thuringia, he actually was considered the honorary leader, honorary president or whatever of that society. So I bring forth an, a wealth of evidence and maybe one of the most interesting pieces of evidence or most powerful pieces of evidence that I bring forward in my book is the way that Darwinism was used in the Nazi biology curriculum. Because if you want to find out what the Nazis taught about Darwinism, look at what they put in the schools. And they actually did publish in 1938 a, an official Nazi curriculum for the schools. And one of the chapters is on biology. And lo and behold, if you read that chapter on biology, Darwinian evolution plays a very prominent role, including the evolution of humans and including the evolution of races, which was going to be a cornerstone in of Nazi ideology. And again, we see it in a lot of other uh, things too. And I bring forth an avalanche of evidence in my book to show that, not just these things I've just mentioned. Yeah, no, you do. This, this is just the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Yeah, right. So one final thing on, on this point, uh, again, often I've seen people claim, well, all this ignores the fact that, that Hitler was actually a Christian creationist who opposed evolution <laughs> that yeah. himself. Right. Yeah, I have a chapter on Hitler himself, and I've, I've written an entire book on Hitler's religion in which I argue that he was a pantheist because he believed that nature was God. And people who, when they look at Hitler's talking about God in various contexts, just make the assumption that he's talking about the Christian God when that's not really the case. And if you look at how he construes God, and again, I bring, I have a whole book that deals with that issue. Uh, when you look at how he construes God, he's talking about nature and he thinks that part of nature, he thinks, is the Darwinian struggle for existence. So he thinks that he's cooperating with nature and the morality that nature is putting forward by uh, trying to drive human evolution forward and by you know, winning the struggle for existence for the Aryan race, which he considers a superior race. Yeah. So sort of piggybacking on that, I want to move to your book contains some striking original illustrations from Nazi propaganda works mm -hmm. to demonstrate just how and document just how much the Nazis framed their views in Darwinian terms. One really stuck in my mind, and I don't recall it from your other works, maybe it was there, but it was, how shall I put it? It dealt with the Nazi view of Christmas. So we just talked about Hitler's real view of, of yeah. religion. Tell us, if you can, about the Christmas book circulated by the Nazis in, I think it was 1943 and 44, intended to lift the spirits of the German people. But this book didn't feature Silent Night or Jesus's birth, I don't think. What 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 was the front piece? Or you know, Yeah, the front piece was a quotation by Hitler in which he is talking about how all of nature is in a struggle and the the no and he's he's trying to basically whip the German people up to keep fighting the war. That's basically the idea here, you know, this this Christmas book. Uh, that he has. So the idea is not to, you know, point people to Jesus or to God or anything like that, you know, which you'd think might be a, a theme in Christmas, certainly if he's a Christian, which other people are trying to argue, uh, but rather they're trying to, and if you, by the way, if you look through the book, you look through the entire book, and aside from just the funnest 
frontispiece, there's absolutely nothing about Jesus in the entire book. It's mm-hmm. all about, you know, Christmas celebrations and different kinds of ways. That, and in fact, a lot of there were Germans, a lot of Nazis at the time were talking about trying to revert back to the older pre-Christian celebrations, the pagan, original pagan celebrations of the winter solstice at that time. So, uh, and by the way, Hitler's chauffeur and others in the Hitler's entourage actually testified later about Hitler that he didn't even like Christmas. He would very often go out driving on Christmas because he didn't want to be around the Christmas festivities and different things like that. So he wasn't celebrating Christ's birth on Christmas at all. Yeah. I was just struck by, you know, everyone would think Christmas, even in secular terms in America, is about peace on earth, goodwill. But here, they sent out a Christmas book, and I actually did write down the quote, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, so I didn't expect you to do it. But what Hitler said that all of nature is a powerful struggle between power and weakness and eternal victory of the strong over the weak. Yeah. So that was Hitler's Christmas card or Christmas book to his population. It was not yeah. urging them peace on earth. It was crush the weak. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a Christmas message and very Darwinian. Okay. You already mentioned eugenics, but I want to hone in on that just a little bit mm-hmm. more. The attempt sort of to breed a better race by harnessing the powers of selection and things. Nazi eugenics, it turns out, has been a key subplot in two recent popular TV series, The Dystopian Man in the High Castle on Amazon and the World War II drama World on Fire on both the BBC and PBS. Mm -hmm. Often, I've been frustrated when filmmakers cover eugenics because they neatly sort of sidestep the Darwin or the, the ideological origins or rationale of it. So I was actually shocked actually surprised at how directly World on Fire dealt with this issue. And and so I want to just show a brief clip where there's an American journalist who's interviewing a German doctor scientist involved in the eugenics program that was killing the disabled. And here's how the doctor in this TV show justifies what they were doing. Dr. Vaus alleviates suffering. But the policy doesn't only talk about alleviating suffering. It talks about not infecting the gene pool. Human progress is driven by natural selection. Human progress is given by natural selection. Is that is that an accurate depiction of, of how the Nazis were arguing for eugenics? Oh, exactly. And what they thought was that in modern human societies that we had uh, helped the weak and the sick to such an extent that we were allowing them to reproduce and they thought this was a horrible thing. And so they needed to try to offset it. Uh, And so eugenics was an attempt to introduce artificial selection because they thought that natural selection had been set aside in civilized society. So it was based upon Darwinian premises. Uh, And this is very clear. In fact, if you look at the the Nazi propaganda for their compulsory sterilization program and for their eugenics program, their Darwinian themes that are laced through them. I mean, very overt Darwinian themes, not just something that I'm reading into it or something. You know, they actually mentioned Darwin and they mentioned his influence and and impacts and bringing about the understanding of biology that allowed them now to run this eugenics program. I'm so glad you brought out the that although eugenics was sort of artificial selection, the, the whole rationale was we were being too nice by getting rid of natural yeah. selection. So we had to re- do something like that because I've, I remember reading something by historian Daniel Kevlis where he was poo-pooing, oh, there was no connection with, between eugenics and Darwinism and it, because you know, that's artificial selection. Well, but if you read the people, as you point out, <laughs> they point out, you know, this, in other words, this is the kinder, yeah. gentler way 
you know, we right. don't have to go back to the law of the jungle. If we're not willing to do that, we we do it artificially. But you know, the the premises were Darwinian premises about exactly. how you get human progress. So exactly. Okay, your book isn't, although mostly about Nazis. It's not just about German Nazis anyway. You have a substantial chapter about Darwinian racism today in America, and I wonder if you could just give us a little preview of of that. Yeah, so I looked at in in investigating this book, I looked at the way that neo-Nazis in the post-war period uh, all the way up until today and sometimes they go under the name of white nationalists or sometimes alt-right, there's different names, these are overlapping categories. I looked at the way that they had construed racism and lo and behold, they do their name well of neo-Nazis because they basically recycle the Nazi ideology to a very striking degree. I mean, they even make the same kind of arguments about the, you know, the ice age and such as having been you know, selective pressure that has made the, the Northern Europeans superior uh, and such. And there's so the recycling exactly the ideas that were around in the early 20th century that Hitler and others had imbibed there. As I was doing that research, I came across a really horrifying book. Uh, and the way I came across this was because in 2019, there was a mass shooting that took place in Gilroy, California at the Garlic Festival. And in that mass shooting or before the mass shooting, the per perpetrator posted to his social media that people should read a book by Ragnar Redbeard, which is called Might is Right. And the subtitle of it is Survival of the Fittest. And I'm an expert in social Darwinism, but this book really blew me away. It's really one of the most incendiary pieces of social Darwinist literature that you could imagine. Extremely anti-Christian, very Nietzschean, but also very Darwinian and forthrightly so. I mean, he actually quotes from Darwin's Descent of Man. He talks uh, quite often about the races in Darwinian terms and the Darwinian struggle for existence between races uh, and such. And this book, I found out is being promoted by a lot of white nationalist websites. Some, I, th I think there was even one that had a PDF uh, of it on their uh, website, if I recall correctly. And the other ones had it for sale and such. Uh, this book, by interestingly, was not very well known when it was written. It was written in 1896, uh, published in 1896 originally. It was not very well known until it was actually publicized by Anton LaVey in his Satanic Bible. Uh, he actually cribbed parts of Redbeard's book, and uh, LeVay then began recommending this book to his followers in his satanic church. But of course, this is not the only direction of white nationalism. There's actually uh, a few academics, not many. There's Again, it's, part of, it's a fringe group, but Kevin McDonald, for example, is now a retired psychology professor at California State University, Long Beach. He wrote three major very thick tomes that are extremely anti-Semitic and, base, and basically uses evolutionary psychology to try to explain both the identity of the Jews themselves and also how anti-Semitism functions against the Jews. And basically, again, he sees the white, the uh, Nordics, or, or I don't think he uses the word Nordic in his writings. I think he just speaks more about uh, the Europeans uh, and the European descendants as being opposed to the Jews in this Darwinian struggle for existence. And he sees this, he believes anti-Semitism is a sort of inborn trait 
in whites that help us in the Darwinian struggle for existence. And that's a very forthright view. Again, he's writing evolutionary psychology in these matters. So, and he's not alone. I mean, uh, another individual that maybe more of you might've heard of is uh, Richard Spencer, who several years ago became fairly well-known for his alt-right ideology and such. And uh, here I have a quote of his that I have right here where Spencer said, quote, that group differences exist as consequences of evolution by natural selection. So mm. there you have it. You know, he's, wow. he's interpreting race as having originated through natural selection. And then wow. he also said, quote, that racial differences are a natural and normal consequence of human evolution. Yeah. So people on the alt-right and white nationalists today are pushing the same ideology that the Nazis mm. were pushing during their heyday. Yeah. It, it is really disturbing that that, and you know, I don't, I don't want to overplay the alt right. I, I usually call it the so-called alt right because their beliefs are a mishmash of all sorts of things, from socialism yeah. to conservatism. But when you look at these disturbed people, like that mass shooter in in Gilroy, and these ideas are having an effect on disturbed individuals, and we have to recognize that. I mean, it's a poisonous ideology, and uh, you know, even you know Hitler. And his views were out there on the fringe uh, at the beginning. So, you know, I, I think we should be concerned about that. And I think everyone, the price of the book is worth that chapter alone, <laughs> I think, uh, and really a wake-up call for how these these ideas are still being used in various ways, disturbing ways. Mm -hmm. So I want to end this section with a more personal question about your own journey. Mm -hmm. Through your books and journal articles, I'd argue you've really become the world's leading authority on the intellectual and historical connections between Darwinian theory and Darwinism and Nazism. What started you out on this journey? And maybe what are, what's the most striking thing you discovered in your research along the way? Yeah, I think some people get the mistaken uh, supposition that I started off trying to find connections between Darwinism and Nazism. And actually, when I was going through my graduate school, I wasn't even really that interested in the history of Nazism. I mean, I studied modern German history, so I studied it. But I thought that it had been sort of overstudied, that there were lots of people already doing Nazi Germany. So I was going to do other things. So I was more interested in the 19th century, and I was working on late 19th century uh, intellectual history. And my dissertation was on the reception of Darwinism by German socialists in the late 19th century. And as I was doing that research, I got very interested in how certain German Darwinists, especially Ernst Haeckel, but also others, were trying to use evolutionary ethics to replace Judeo-Christian ethics or in Kantian ethics or any other kind of ethics for that matter. And so I got interested in the issue of evolutionary ethics. So that sort of launched me into my next research project, which was ultimately going to become from Darwin to Hitler. But when I began it, I wasn't even thinking of Hitler. I was mm. just thinking of evolutionary ethics. But as I got into my project in evolutionary ethics, I started finding out that the people who were promoting evolutionary ethics by the 1890s and early 1900s were very often also promoting eugenics. They were promoting scientific racism. And I started saying, you know, this sounds a lot like Nazi ideology. <laughs> and so the more I explored, and then I started looking at Hitler's ideology in greater depth uh, and finding out, yeah, I mean, Hitler really was embracing ideas of evolutionary ethics, even though he didn't use that term. You know, he described the ideas of morality being biologically ingrained and other kinds of things that really were talking about evolutionary ethics. So that's where that book then uh, from Darwin to Hitler came about because I was looking at evolutionary ethics and I thought, okay, they're, they're disconnected with Hitler's ideology. Once I published that book, then I received a lot of criticism 
for making that connection. And so then I've been defending that position and pr- producing even more evidence to show that my position makes sense. I published Hitler's Ethic in 2009 that looks just at Hitler's ideology. And then this particular book on Darwinian racism expands the view. Uh, I do have one chapter that overlaps with my earlier work by looking at Hitler himself. So there's one chapter on Hitler. But then I expand the view by looking at other German biologists and anthropologists during the Nazi period. I look at the biology curriculum. I look at biology textbooks. I look at uh, Nazi propaganda and such. Whereas my earlier work with, I mean, from Darwin to Hitler was actually pre-1914, really, except for the chapter on Hitler. Uh, and then Hitler's ethic was just on Hitler. So I've expanded the view to look at a lot of other, and then also I have a chapter on eugenics as well and how they're using yeah. Darwinism to justify eugenics. So yeah. I, I broaden it out and I'm looking actually at the Nazi period itself, except for the last chapter. Well, the first chapter is on Darwin himself. So that's pre-Nazi. And then the rest of it is on the Nazi period, except the last chapter then on the white nationalists. Yeah, right. And if people want, in addition to reading the book, want previews of, say, uh, Dr. Weikert talking about these things, he is in a number of videos. So uh, a lot of the sort of the kernel, sort of a 14-minute distillation of From Darwin to Hitler is The Biology of the Second Reich. You can find mm-hmm. that actually now on Rumble as well as on uh, YouTube. YouTube sort of put a age restriction on it, and so harder to watch on there. Uh, and then in Human Zoos, he also talks about many of the things. And then so there are various ways I hope that people will explore. The book is Darwinian Racism by historian Richard Weikart. You can find out more at darwinianracism.org, and you can purchase it at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or other online booksellers. For ID the Future, thanks for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.